we both worked with David Fincher, who's, you know, pound for pound, one of the most talented filmmakers around. But I worked with him when he was blessedly still working in film. So he would do like 30 <laughs> or 40. And you did like the first one where he was on digital. And I was working with a mutual friend of ours in China. And we were getting emails from Mark saying like, we just passed number 80. And I just heard him say like, Erase the first 35 or something like that. He was like in despair. Did it take 12? Okay, okay, yeah, I could do this. There was one take. We were like at take 85, and it it was a a, a big um, it was a big single and a walk and talk. It was like seven pages, and uh, it was one of my first days of work. And and he he started walking over to me, and I thought to myself, you know what? They're gonna have to pay me anyway. <laughs> um, they got the wrong guy, and I know they got the wrong guy. And obviously, he's finally figured it out. So it's fine, Mark. You did your best. And, and then he, he walked right by me to the to the background guy behind me, and he moved him like two inches. And then he turned around and walked away, and patted me on the back as he, as he went. And I went, you know what? This dude is like, I'm only ten percent of the frame, and this guy's going for a hundred percent. And uh, this actor's hitting his high spot at this moment. This actor's still lagging. And he is going to wait until we're all the best we could possibly be at that special moment when everything comes together. And then once you realize that's the trip you're on, then that's the trip you go on. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to a podcast directed by. So we have finished off with one director. We just finished Darren Aronofsky. Uh, and Mike asked me um, who I wanted to cover that didn't have that many movies. And the first person that came to mind, of course, was, you know, one of the greatest directors of a generation, uh, David Fincher. So that is what we're going to be covering over the next couple of months. And as usual, um, we have a guest expert to both kind of introduce and then close off uh, this director when we get to it. Um, and this time we have Marcelo Pico of Talk Film Society and all of their many, many podcasts. So Marcelo, thank you for being here uh, and talking about David Fincher with me. Thank you so much. I'm 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 uh, I'm happy you, you you asked me to be on uh, to be a quote unquote expert on David Fincher. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So why don't you tell people first, like you know, if for some reason they end up liking what you have to say and want more of you, where can they find you online and how the, can they can they contact you? Um, uh, Talk Film Society. That's that's the primary resource where you can find uh, my writing and other people's great writing and. The podcast that we do, um, to, uh, follow us on Twitter at TalkFilmSoc. Go to our Patreon to support us, patreon.com slash TalkFilmSociety. Um, that's the primary resource. I mean, okay. if you really want to find me on Twitter, you know, search me out. Uh, There's not I'm, that many I'm, I'm Marcellos. I mean, it, it can't be that hard to find <laughs> yeah. you. That's You should be fine. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So this month, um, just so everyone knows, the movies we are going to be covering are all of them. Uh, and that is in order Alien 3, 7, The Game, 
Fight Club, Panic Room, Zodiac, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, and Mank. Um, because Mank will actually be out by the time we get through these movies. So that is very exciting. We get a new David Fincher movie to talk about at the very end of this. All right. So, um, Marcelo, you talked about where people can reach you. So that's great. Um, have you published anything on Fincher's movies before, whether it be written work or podcasts, anything people should seek out in particular? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, let me start with the podcasts because, you know, uh, David, you and I did a, an episode for a series I did over at Talk Film Society called the Talk Film Society Festival. Uh, we talked about Gone Girl and, uh, you, you can hear, you know, uh, David and I gush about that film and I gush about Fincher's filmography there. Um, I, this is, this would be funny to people who follow me, uh, podcasting wise and talk from society. But in the about five or six years I've been doing this podcasting thing, I've, I've, I've attempted to do a Fincher podcast twice, both of which have not been released. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping to go back and finish one series that I tried to do last year. Um, and maybe hopefully get it out by Mank. Um, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, that's how, that's how much I care about Fincher. I, I've tried, I've tried and attempted to do a series on him twice over the last few <laughs> years and I have failed, but, uh, written work I've written about, I've written about panic room. Um, and then separate to that, I wrote an article about the connection between the film don't breathe and panic room and Fincher's filmography. Those are two separate articles yes. on talk from society. Um, but uh, I think those are the two primary ones um, on Talk from Society I've, I've written about uh, in terms of Fincher. I mean, I've, he's featured on my top ten film <laughs> list, so I think you can search those out too. Every year, um, every time a movie yeah. comes out, yes. <laughs> yeah, and we'll we'll I mean, link John, we'll yeah. link to those articles uh, in the show notes so people can check out Marcelo's work um, because you know anytime he gets a chance to mention David Fincher. He's going to be mentioned, which is which is why I brought you on here, actually. You were the first person I thought of. I don't know what that says about you, but when I think of David Fincher, your your name comes to mind immediately. I'm like, I can't really ask anyone else uh, to be the expert it's, on this because, like, you know, that's, even, that's even the, the Fincher movies— <laughs> Even the Fincher movies that people maybe are the biggest fans of, you have kind of come out and defended uh, from the beginning, not like in reaction to people not liking it and you just had to be different. But like, you know, I'm sure we will get into it either in this episode or in the final episode of these last couple months um, is your just unabashed love of Panic Room, um, which maybe isn't the Fincher movie that people would immediately go to uh, for a movie they're like going to go to bat for. But you have been there since the beginning. So I uh, had to ask you on for this. There was no choice. Yeah. Um, and it, this is something I may have mentioned before. Uh, years ago, but Panic Room has a special place in my heart. Uh, like the 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 really the the quick story I can tell about that is when I used to make short films with my best friend, and we ended up doing like a a uh, a, a video production uh, small business for a few years. Uh, um, brought on from those short films. One of the short films I did, I was like, let's just do Panic Room. Let's just <laughs> I, I've watched it so many times now that let's just copy the style. Is capture the essence. Let's copy shots. Um, that's how influ- influential Fincher's work is to me, and how influential that film in particular is for me. Mm. So that's how obsessed I am with 
that movie in particular. Yeah. And it makes sense, right? Like, if you're going to pick a Fincher movie to make a short film, I mean, Panacrib could very easily be a 20-minute movie. Like, there's a lot yeah. in there, but it is, I mean... <laughs> Given the name, it's literally like a locked room movie. Like this is, it's really focused. It's really intense. So I could see that. Uh, be do, is that available uh, anywhere online? Your your short film that you made. Uh, much like my Twitter handle. Uh, uh, I'm sure if you can. I'm sure if you know how to spell my name properly, okay. you can go on YouTube and, I'm gonna, and find it. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna find gonna, that and yeah. post it. Guaranteed. I love it. There, I can't. I can't I think wait to watch that. I think there, I think uh yeah like the, the the short film that's 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 there it's like a horror film i think that's that's the one i that was most influenced even like a um a commercial i shot that was in black and white i think was very much influenced by uh fincher's work too so like okay. basically <laughs> there's so much of fin- uh, and, and there was a time when i would for sure consider him my favorite filmmaker right now he's number two um only because he's taken a break uh from filmmaking and just wait till Mank comes film. out. He'll be back on top. <laughs> yeah, I know. As soon as you see Mank, exactly. it's going to be like, oh, okay. Sorry, Soderbergh. <laughs> just back yeah. to number two with you. And, and, and it's only because I did a, a podcast on Soderbergh, you know, uh, up to like 30 episodes. You succeeded uh, at uh, one. Right now. That's yeah. unlike yeah, the yeah, Fincher exactly. podcast. <laughs> yes. I love it. With the, with, 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 with the Soderbergh podcast series, I wasn't editing it. So that may have helped oh. things out. The secret um, comes out. I totally get that. As the editor yeah. of this podcast, I totally understand. <laughs> like, uh, do I really need to put out these episodes? Uh, maybe not. Um, so yeah. given that Fincher is at the very least your number two favorite director, um, what was your introduction to his work to begin with? Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Seven. I'm pretty sure that was the hmm. first Fincher film I saw. And, um, it, it had to have been like maybe, uh, like maybe 97, 98 is when I saw it like on VHS. Hmm. Um, I remember my, my, my older cousins at the time had a VHS collection, which I think influenced me greatly now as an adult with a massive DVD Blu-ray, hmm. you know, 4k collection. Um, but yeah, they, they, I think they introduced me to it because I had seen parts of seven on TV and was aware of it. And I think that's that's when I saw it for the first time is on the VHS, and then I was like, oh yeah, this is like this is this is good. I like this stuff. And then and then um, shortly thereafter, um, uh, it came out on DVD, and then that DVD, the the special edition DVD, was like in- incredible to me at at that time because mm-hmm. up at, up until that point, I had not been. Uh, I, 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 like it was like before YouTube, and it was before I I was like searching out for this stuff. But the amount of like behind the scenes stuff, the commentaries, mm. like like that, that was a breakthrough for me. It was like, oh, this is you know, I, I I get a glimpse you know behind the curtain of of how films are made, and I get to hear a director and and these actors and the crew talk about how they made this film. So that was amazing. And then also Fight Club, that DVD special uh, special edition was also a huge like breakthrough for me so that yeah so late 90s uh was when i was like introduced to fincher and it was those dvd commentaries and special editions that really broke through to me that that and, and that is a big reason why i think fincher is you know uh one of my favorites mm. my number two because he <laughs> is open he is open about 
the way he makes films on his commentaries. Like he, even if he comes I, off I, like a total I'm, asshole, he's going to tell you exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's that's. I mean, that's the experience I had this morning. I watched, um, I rewatched Case of Benjamin Button with his commentary, and uh, I, I listened to it before, but you know, it's been a few years since I've watched that movie or listened to that commentary. So I'm like, let's let's do. T- Two birds with one stone. Let's let's let's, yeah. let's listen to the commentary and watch the film. And I, I by the end of the movie, I was like uh, pretty much crying, and also just I, I I had to laugh at times because Fincher, <laughs> <laughs> whenever he 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 has that he has that uh, very dry sense of humor that really gets me too. So that's maybe another reason why he's a favorite of mine because I just really like his personality, even though yeah. yes, he is very upfront of him being an asshole. <laughs> So when you when you think back to kind of, you know, your first experience, Seven kind of, you know, sounding like it kind of blew your mind, not only as a movie, but just finding out everything that goes in to making a movie like this. When you look back at that, that feeling, and then you think about his work now, has your relationship with Fincher's work changed at all? Um, or is it pretty similar to how when you first saw Seven? Uh, that, that's a good question, because I, th- I think it's it's similar because it, it says a lot about um, how how Seven has aged, or it, it's aged perfectly over the years. Like I, I rewatched that a few months ago, and was just still in awe of just how beautiful that movie looks. Like in yeah. in, in depicting you know disgusting <laughs> uh, uh, corners of society, um, it, it it holds up. Mm-hmm. And and now you know cut to like his last movie, you know Gone Girl. Um, and I still find, I still see that essence of Fincher there. You know, I can connect seven with Gone Girl. Right. And so the, the, the connection I have with him as a filmmaker, um, I mean, I, I, I can't help to watch Gone Girl and like not, you know, turn on the commentary. I, I, I started to realize like that may be an important thing for me it is Fincher's commentaries. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a big revelation. I think I'm connecting right now on Mike, but you know, I, I'm, I'm so happy that there's a Gone Girl commentary. That I can listen to and be as informed and entertained as like me listening to his commentary on Seven. Right. So in terms of that, that relationship is like still the same. Like I still see uh, him as a filmmaker at the top of his game. You know, from Seven to Gone Girl, and I can still be in touch with him as a filmmaker through his commentaries because it's it's uh, both commentaries are think as informative. Like in that right. way. He hasn't changed. Like he's, I think he's still as smart, but now as time has progressed, he's just more in tune with like the the, the technology and you know the, the the you know going from film to digital. Like that's like the big difference. But overall, right. like I I'm still like on the same page. I'm still just as in awe of like him as a filmmaker and him and him, and him as a person. You know, after you know what twenty years. Yeah, I was also thinking about how surprising it is given his beginnings that he has become i mean you know he hasn't won an oscar yet i'm sure that he will at some point if not they'll give him an honorary oscar because he just keeps pumping out these kind of classic movies um but it's surprising that he became one of the most respected filmmakers in the world to me because i remember a time when there was a certain like shade thrown at directors who started out as music video directors uh and then you know alien 3 happened which was 
for him, kind of a travesty. Um, and then seven is another, it's like very edgy. And if you look at the very, the opening credits, it, you know, it's like a nine inch nails video. Like it's very, it's very music video. So for him to go from that, you know, and then fight club was edgy, but then he makes stuff like, you know, Zodiac and Benjamin Button later on. And it's such a weird process. And do you find that surprising? Like the way that he is kind of gone up the ranks of directors so relatively quickly and with relatively few movies? It, it You know, because I, I'm coming to realize too, like it was with Panic Room that I became uh, a, a huge fan of his. Like that, like that era, you know, early 2000s was when I was like, yes, Fincher is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think maybe at that point my favorite. And then I, uh, it was – it wasn't so much surprising, but like expected for me mm. when Zodiac came out and I was in the theater, um, like opening weekend, I forced my friends to go see it <laughs> by the end, by the end, half of them were like, what did I just see? And the other half were like, Oh, that's good. And then I was like, guys, that was amazing. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was the turn where he made the shift to like more, you know, quote unquote serious movies. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, in my head, I was like, yes. Finally, this is it. Like, um, he is going to get, you know, the 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 recognition he deserves in terms of like Oscars and like all this stuff. It to me that seemed like a a a natural transition because of course he's a favorite of mine. Of course he's done, you know, uh, Seven, uh, The Game, Fight Club, Panic Room. All of these in my head are like amazing films, amazingly directed films. Even Alien Three. Um, and I'm like, yes, like he is on a course in my head to become, you know, one of the greats and multiple Oscar winner. So that Zodiac that, you know, that turn with Zodiac, I'm like, yes, it makes sense. But of course he hasn't done it yet. And um, then after that, he did Benjamin Button, which in my head was another natural, uh, uh, a natural fit for him, even though at that time, and even now maybe people are like, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the weird one. That's the, you know, that's the, what, what's the expression? The, the odd thumb out, you know, of, of his mm-hmm. filmography. Um, but, you know, rewatching it this morning, I'm like, it fits like it's, it, it, uh, yeah, the films he's done so far, they fit within, within his like, aura, within his like, uh, you know, filmography. Yeah. So, yeah, but I guess to answer your question, to me, it made sense because I was a huge fan of his, you know, when, when Zodiac came out and to me that signified, yes, you know, he is a quote unquote serious filmmaker, but uh-huh. he's still able to do something pulpy, trashy, like, you know, Gone Girl, Girl the Drink Tattoo. Um, but yeah, that I, I, uh, I, I've been his fan from, you know, from seven onwards. So right. to see that progression has been great. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we'll probably get into this, um, at the, in the next episode, but I think it's one of the things to me that makes him stand out is that he can do just about anything. He can do serious movies. He can do genre movies. He can do trashy beach reads and make them all great. Um, so that's, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a fan. I chose David Fincher um, for us to go over. So not someone I particularly dislike. So it makes it easy. Uh, And of course, we ask this question of everyone who comes on this show, because this show was originally going to be called Auteurs for for Assholes. uh, But, you know, that was not get through the iTunes uh, censors. Um, So what can people expect from a Fincher movie? What are the things that like as you're watching a movie, even if Fincher's name wasn't on it, you'd be like, oh, I'm watching a David Fincher movie. This is, and I, I'm sure 
I don't know how other people think. I was going to say I think maybe other people do this. I don't know how people think. I'm a, I'm, I might be the weirdo, but when I think of directors, like I kind of have like a checklist of things in my head. I I have um, as I come to see a new movie of theirs, like you know uh, Spielberg, um, just you know childhood trauma. You know, <laughs> be like uh, no uh, dad. You know, uh, Is that the <laughs> <laughs> no dad? Yeah, <laughs> and then you know. Uh, uh, Scorsese, you know, uh, you know, by the end it's about American capitalism, and also, hey, there's Italians involved, um, and also uh, <laughs> Rolling Stones, um, yeah, and okay. then you know, yeah. uh, Christ- uh, Christ- uh, Christopher Nolan, you know, Dead Wives, you know, so on and so forth. Sure, um, I joke. That was a joke. Um, true though, it's true. true. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you can't help but that's a Nolan trope. Yes. Um, with Fincher, to me, maybe this is a reason why I think. He's like a favorite of mine is like death. I think he deals with death in a direct way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in, and in going, uh, deeper into that, like serial killers, you know, mm-hmm. the unknown, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, what's behind that door. Uh, that's like, I think that's a theme that reoccurs, um, throughout his filmography that. So that there's a lot of sociopaths yeah, that, in his movies. Yeah. Like you just mentioned yeah. that. And I was like, Oh, you know, there may be not a lot of serial killers, but in terms of sociopaths, I mean, you've got, you know, gone girl, you've got social network, you've got Zodiac. I mean, there's, I mean, alien three, there's a lot of that in his movies for sure. Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned this, uh, during the gone girl episode we did, um, uh, for the festival, but yeah, I, I, I'm obsessed with how he is, obsessed with like those sociopaths with uh, whether they be serial killers or not whether they're like you know john doe or mark zuckerberg um mm-hmm. i think fincher is fascinated with how their brain works and how they're able to you know live in a normal society like that's that darkness that i think he's obsessed with and you definitely for sure get that in full force with like you know girl the dragon tattoo and seven mm-hmm. but yeah like like i said it's even in there in like the social network because Jesus Christ. I mean, the way, I mean, it, it, it's been said before many times, but watching that movie now, 10 years later and seeing what Facebook is now, uh, it should have been a you know bigger warning sign than it was uh, 10 years ago. Um, Seriously. And then, and then visually um, that sleekness that I think has been imitated a lot over the last 10 years, especially I think, I think social network um, was another huge moment for him as a filmmaker because he proved that he was, you know, on one hand, like a, like a more traditional filmmaker. Because even reading this past week, interviews where he, uh, uh, people have been talking to him about Mank and his father, um, I, I think he is more on a on a classic Hollywood, you know, uh, uh, standpoint in terms of making movies, which is like it's. It makes sense on one hand, but I've always seen him as like a a a, a director who is like more of the new age, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I I I remember being in a film class in 2010 and just having this. It wasn't an argument, but I was just like standing up for the social network, saying, "Yeah," I was like saying to the teachers, "Like this movie um, is is you know shows like where you know cinema is going. Like this, the mm-hmm. music, the look of it." Like and and you know I was comparing it to the King's Speech, and this may have been right after um, the King's Speech won Best Picture, but I'm like yeah like this, the, the the social network, it's it's where we're heading like that kind of filmmaking is like what's what's going to take over, mm-hmm. and 
I'm not going to say I was right or anything, but just in my head, mm-hmm. seeing certain films sort of copy that style in a way and even like the, uh, the biggest example for me, the biggest example for me right now, crazy enough, is like Game Night, which is basically yeah. like, let's make a comedy, but make it a Fincher movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even like uh, Whiplash, I think, has moments that are very Fincher-esque. Uh, I wrote, I mean, I wrote that piece about Don't Breathe and how that was Fincher-esque. So, yeah, um, that is what you can expect from a Fincher movie. That distinct style of his that has been imitated, I think, through the years. And it's, it, I, uh, I'm happy to see Mank because I have a feeling uh, the perception of how we see a Fincher movie might change because yeah. I think he has some, he has some tricks up his sleeve. We'll For see. Sure. So kind of connected to this, um, like this auteur stuff, we, we also always ask this, but sometimes it comes up more with, um, you know, less modern directors, uh, cause, you know, we've covered Scorsese, we've covered John Ford, uh, Ida Lupino. So are there, are there anything in Fincher's movies that we have to keep in mind that maybe be outdated in terms of its politics or the way it handles certain things? Anything that we need to keep in mind before we kind of embark on this journey and watch all of Fincher's movies. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about this for the past week now, um, because, uh, I I'll just cut to the chase. Like the girls are trying tattoo. Um, I do love that movie. Um, and, and the rewatches help it for me, but the biggest criticism of that, that when that came out from what I've read is like just how it deals with, the, the 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 rape scenes right mm-hmm. and i think uh, um the way he shoots them may be too um too 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 polished hmm. maybe too alluring which is a criticism i can i can totally see and i'm i maybe i don't completely buy but i can see that and there are times when i do have to think about that um, and that ties into like Fight Club because I, you know, Fincher for for Fight Club especially, I think he's smart enough, to, you know, to realize like uh, by the very end that this is not a, a you know a, a a it's not pointing to a way to live like you're not supposed to be rooting right. for these people, but he shoots it in a way that is alluring, you know, with 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 the way the film plays out and with the characters, with the script, of the dialogue. And that's why I think there's that toxic toxic fan base that completely misunderstood Fight Club, right? Because I think he he may he lean drew towards, him in. <laughs> yeah, he, much he, like Tyler Durden, yeah. he kind of brought them all in, yeah, exactly. And I think that's is because the way he likes to film uh, things. Um, so that, uh, if that makes any sense, like he mm-hmm. tends to shoot this horror, you know, this, you know, these these, you know. Whether we see them on screen or not, these murders, or um, or rape in a way that may be just too glossy, you know that that may be just I don't know. It, it I mean, does does that make sense, David? Because I does. think that's that's one thing that I've been trying to just process through the years, and you know, growing up as a person and the society, you know, changing along, you know, with you know, rightfully so, like with like you know, the Me Too movement is how we perceive these scenes on on screen and how we should take them in as a society. So, yeah, yeah that's one thing I, I think should be noted is that um, 
uh, I don't think he's doing it on purpose to make them glossy, but he can't help but do it because he is that type of filmmaker. Because yeah. you know he had his roots <laughs> in music videos, and he can't help but to make you know every scene he shoots have a shine to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the closing episode, we'll of course focus on all the great stuff that Fincher has done. But do you think there's any weak points in his filmography or his style? Probably not. You know, I mean, you kind of talked about maybe making things too glossy, so it's hard to find. Um, problems with his style because he's such a perfectionist. But what about weak points in the filmography? Is there a movie or two in there that you're like, eh, this doesn't really measure up to the rest of the greatness uh, that we're going to experience with Fincher's movies? <laughs> that's that's a hell of a question because it's I... Alien Three. It's Alien Three. All right, go uh, ahead. I know we have to, we have to talk about <laughs> Alien Three. This is the point because like every other one. Uh, every other film of his filmography, I can go to bat for 100%. Um, Alien 3 is the one that I, 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 I can go to bat for like 85%. <laughs> well, that's probably about what he directed of it, so that makes sense. That's. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, I, I don't want to go like on a long diatribe about Alien 3. Not diatribe, but like a long, you know, rant and whatever. But it, it, that's the one because he himself has disowned it. I, I should have pulled that quote. But like he he did a recent interview where he described Alien Three as like it was a library title you know made by a conglomerate you know <laughs> that was obsessed with franchising he didn't specify yeah. the name of it that's what he called it which is you know it's it, it's apt it's it's perfect I think because... even people that love the movie would probably agree with that I mean that's yeah just true <laughs> and 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 the reason why I still you know, love it so much as I do both versions, by the way, the theatrical and the assembly cut um, is because there's just enough of him in there to, to, to say, yes, this is still a David Fincher movie. Mm. Oh yeah. Even though he refuses to call it one of his, but it, it, that's the one you have to say. Yes. Because of the studio interference, because 20th century Fox came in and just chopped it up um, mm. and he couldn't make the movie he wanted to make. That is the one. That is for sure the one I can say. Yeah, that's that. That's Good. a weak point. That's the if right answer. Was, well done, one, Marcello. Good job. Because <laughs> I, I still love it. I can still go to bat for it. But yeah, um, every other one of his movies, I think, shows you know him as a filmmaker. Um, even I, I, I love the game. I know some people don't like mm-hmm. the game. I think it's a fun still... genre movie. I'm looking forward to rewatching that actually because it's been yeah, it's been it, quite it, a while. I mean, the Criterion Collection likes it, so that should be good enough, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and and as we know, every film that yes, the Criterion Collection correct puts in its, in its <laughs> obviously you know, collection just the great. best every single one. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. well, maybe not recently, but whatever. That's just because oh. they have some handshake deal with Netflix at this point, where they just put everything Netflix does uh, in the collection, apparently, but. That's okay. Um, I can't, can't, can't wait to get that Mank criterion, honestly. All right. Well, go. that's true. That is a good side of that. I'll have to live with yeah. things like Marriage Story and Roma being in there, but I get Mank, so that's fine. I haven't even seen Mank yet, but um, it's been a long time since I've disliked a Fincher movie, so I have pretty high expectations. Um, so the and, other... and, and I, have, I have never disliked one, so if Mank disappoints, then, then, we'll then, then, then we know it's the end. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> So something you said earlier uh, made me very sad um, and leads into this next question is that, like, I knew that this was true. But when you said, like, before Mank, because Mank will be out probably by the time we get to this episode, 
Um, like his last movie was Gone Girl, and I was like, fuck. It has been so long since we have had yeah. a David Fincher movie. Like, I know we got two seasons, only two seasons. Now we know for sure of Mindhunter. Uh, but he only directed, I think you had mentioned, only directed like three or four of those episodes. So it's been a long time since we've had a Fincher movie. So how do we explain the gaps in his work? A lot of times when we cover this question, um, it's about female filmmakers. And some of that you can just boil down to like, well, Hollywood is horrible and sexist and, you know, the women are not given the opportunities, but Fincher is a successful, both um, box office wise and critically white male director. So what is the reason for these huge gaps in his filmography? Uh, he's just hard to work with. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know when this happened. Now I can't even think when the movie Steve Jobs came out, the one with uh, the one directed by Danny Boyle. Mm. Uh, what year did that come out? Well, when, when, whenever that was, like a year or two before that, Fincher signed on or was interested to you know in directing Steve Jobs. God, that would have been but incredible. The studio, what a match. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. Um, but the, the, but the studio um, did not care for Fincher's terms. Uh, Fincher <laughs> wanted to control. Everything. Um, the promotional, <laughs> the, the yeah, everything, including the, the including the the, the, the promos, the, the the ad campaign, and they were like, no, you can't do that. And the feature's like, okay, fine, I won't direct it then. Um, and then since then, I mean, what uh, the 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 zombie movie, uh, World War Z two, he was signed on to direct that, which I'm sure was just Brad Pitt saying, please, on, buddy, let's, let's, <laughs> please, please, please. And of course, that didn't pan out. And there had just been times where that's happened where he was even supposed to direct and produce like two shows for hbo um i think he was supposed to do uh utopia which that didn't end up happening i think i think eventually amazon did that and i think they just released that and then he was also supposed to do a um a show based on his work uh doing music videos like a semi semi autobiographical tv show with for hbo and that didn't end up panning out Mm -hmm. um yeah, he just he just wants control, like, and that's that's the way he is as a filmmaker. And if a studio does not like that, then then I think he's, he's smart enough now. I think Alien Three really changed his perception. Yeah, on on, on you know pre production uh, versus uh, a director having absolute control over a production uh, versus like a studio coming in and, and changing things. So early on, like if, I think if, if he has any. Uh, a hint of you know something may go wrong down the line. He goes, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm good. I'm not going to take that chance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now yeah. it makes sense so, that he's yeah. working with Netflix because Netflix seems to be just like throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at directors and going, "Do what you want. Here you go." Uh, so <laughs> which, maybe that's which, how he got. Which meant. is a yeah. Which you know that could be a good and bad thing. Yes. Um, if you look at, at Netflix's work, but uh, but for this, I think it's a good thing because hey, Fincher did two seasons uh, of Mindhunter, and um, I think yeah, the, this past week when we were recording this, he was like, yeah, I couldn't do Mindhunter anymore because one, like I was exhausted because um, I I haven't seen the second season, so I can't fully judge um, that that show. But it, it seemed very much like his show, more than more so than like House of Cards, which he also directed yes. uh, the first two episodes of. But he seemed a lot more involved with Mindhunter. So him being, you know, the producer, uh, a director on on several episodes, and even like uh, you know, a subsequent showrunner, apparently, um, it was just too much for him. 
and that that was one reason why he didn't want to continue. The another reason was like, well, money wise, which it is it's another reason why I think he's he may be hard to work with. Like he he very much knows like what he needs and um what what, what money suits him. And uh, and then I guess Netflix was like, listen, David, there there's not enough viewers for this to to uh to give you the budget for another season so it's not gonna happen so he's like okay fine you know i i'm good with backing backing off and we'll see what happens in five years because that's uh i'm not gonna fully judge out another season or something happening with mindhunter but i can completely understand fincher just being tired and not wanting to deal with the netflix bureaucracy of like viewers versus price so right. i mean what, what we're finding out here is it's marcello's fault uh, he didn't watch season two. <laughs> not enough eyes on uh, it. So thanks for that, buddy. It's hard. Fincher's it's my hard favorite. For me to watch, and yet. <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to watch any Netflix show or any show, period. And it's I a lot of work. Know. It's I, a lot of time. I, two hours is like, okay, I watch yeah. this movie and then I'm done with it. Uh, and I'm sure Fincher probably feels the same way. Like, I can create one narrative very quickly. All right, I'm out. And like he said, it's a lot I, of work. Can I, can I do this? Because like, I, I can't help but. But to say all that and not bring up, you know, my and, and we'll see what happens after Man comes out. But my number one filmmaker is Soderbergh and Soderbergh, it, it, you know, it's funny comparing the two because they they are best friends and they, they, they do share like cuts of uh, each other's work, like when they're working on, you know, stuff together. I mean, parallel to each other as well. Right. I mean. um, so <laughs> and by the way, in, in, in the time between Gone Girl and Mank, that span of years. Like that's long. Fincher's break there between films that is like much longer than Soderbergh's "quote unquote" retirement. It's <laughs> uh, true. And 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 I think and and in that time, Soderbergh did two seasons of The Nick, which he directed every episode. Yeah. Which he also uh, was the cinematographer. He was also the editor. Um, he was also the cameraman apparently because he likes to do that. <laughs> I don't know. My my point is, I don't know where Soderbergh finds the energy. Maybe that's why he's a favorite of mine because he, I, I, he just does a lot, and yeah. he still wanted to do a season three, and they were like, no. But anyway, but Fincher, I think one I of these days we'll mortal, cover Soderbergh, and I wonder if that difference is like Fincher is kind of known not only for being difficult to work with, but for being an utter perfectionist, right? Like every like yeah. he does like hundreds and hundreds of takes until he gets exactly what he wants or has enough range to cut together exactly what he wants. And I feel like Soderbergh maybe uh you know, not like he's cutting corners, but in comparison to Fincher, it's like, okay, we've done ten takes. That's good. Let's move on. And, you know, Fincher's more in that Hitchcock style of like, God, still not what I want, dumb actors. Figure it out. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> So they are very different. It's interesting that they're that they're so close friendship wise, because I think they're their stylistic choices and the way they make movies are so different. They're like diametrically opposed. Like I, I kind of would want um, this to be filmed and I would want them to make a movie together just to watch that friendship like explode. Like it just would be so, so different and so difficult to, to, to tie in Fincher style versus Soderbergh style and like how Fincher's films are so quintessentially his is oh, I don't know if I just read this or if I'm just conflating things, but in comparison, like you know, Soderbergh films you know entire movie on and on an iPhone, and right, and, and it was you know, really good. Unseen was really it's, it's good. Really, <laughs> it's my second favorite film of that year. It it that that's how great it is, and it it it, it does show it's you know there are it's not perfect. 
you know, it's right. not perfectly filmed, and and, and that that's not the reason for it. You know, that's that's not its purpose. Right. You know, cut to, you know, compare that to you know Fincher, and some of my favorite stories about the girl dragon tattoo is the fact that every single shot of that movie is like finely tuned. Uh, during points of, of production, he was filming with like two cameras at the same time, just so that he could have enough space to like center the frame perfectly, so it, so the cameras like wouldn't move at all for any shot in the movie. Jesus. So every single every single shot of gone of the girls drinking that too is like perfectly framed, <laughs> like digitally processed. You know, so yeah, there you go. Compare and contrast. That's yep. a feature movie. That's a Soderbergh movie. So Soderbergh can just like shoot. Something super quick, you know, with an iPhone versus Fincher, just every shot <laughs> editing, editing to the point of meticulous perfection. Yep, absolutely. All right, so I have one more question for our introductory episode. So, as our viewers, our listeners, kind of go through all this coverage, what do you think they should be looking forward to? Are there particular scenes, particular movies, stylistic choices? What should they be looking forward to? Like, if they've never seen a Fincher movie, which uh, I pity them, um, but hopefully they're about to, uh, what do they have to look <laughs> forward to over these next couple months? Oof. Um, the... Uh... The, uh, how about the, 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 the those characters, those um, like like we mentioned before, those the sociopaths, you know, or those killers uh, that he focuses on. Um, I think that's a big through line that is one of the reasons why I find his filmography so goddamn interesting, is that he sh- sh- he shines that light on those types of characters. Um, again, even like Mark Zuckerberg in the Social Network. That's one hell of a character that is like one, you know, one or two scenes away from just murdering somebody uh, in, in in the background. Um, yeah, that's one thing. And then another thing is just how he's progressed over the years. And even watching The Curious Case of Benjamin Button um, and then and then all that stuff I said about, you know, Dragon Tattoo, um, his style has like ever so changed because of he uh, because of his dedication to uh what he finds to be like the best to work with in terms of like film versus digital so and 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 in that and his visual style overall like visually it's still the same but like it's it's only been helped because of the digital process so i I find that fascinating going through his films chronologically um even on film seven looks you know amazing but you don't see, I think, his true sense of like what he wants a movie to look like until you reach, like the Social Network, Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl. Um, uh, yeah, that that's one thing I, uh, I find it fascinating if you go through him chronologically. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, again, just just to emphasize those the, 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 those characters, those scripts, what he what he finds interesting uh, in terms of projects. Um, yeah, uh, for me, he's never he's never missed. You know, right. uh, so uh, those stories that he decides to, 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 to tell in his movies, I think all of them are worthwhile. And some of them are also deeply personal to him if you read into them. So, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's quite a journey uh, for anybody watching these all for the first time. For sure. 
Yeah. And also, we all get to look forward to watching Mank for the first time. So that's something to look forward to. Even if you have seen all of these movies, there's something unknown kind of at the end of this. So that'll be really good. So, Marcelo, thank you for being here for our kind of introductory episode into David Fincher. Um, And we will have Marcelo back after we wrap all this up um, to talk about kind of to talk more about David Fincher and to kind of wrap things up for these couple months. Um, so you should definitely follow um, Talk Film Society on, on Twitter. It's Talk Film SOC. Um, and also donate to their Patreon if you want to read uh, my amazing writing. Obviously, you should read that. Uh, and many other great writers um, who I'm sure we will have on the show uh, as we move forward. Um, the next episode we have will, of course, be covering... Uh, not my favorite movie uh, that David Fincher has ever made, uh, <laughs> Alien 3, but I think we're going to have a good time talking about it. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, you will know that I am maybe not the kindest uh, to Alien 3 and people who like Alien 3, so it should be interesting to actually get my full my full attention and my full opinion on it beyond Alien 3 sucks. Uh, so I'll have to say more <laughs> than that in like a 30-minute episode, I think, unless I just turn it over to my co-host. Uh, but please listen to that episode and uh, follow us on Twitter at directed by pod and if you'd like to get the episodes early when we ever do get them done early which is sometimes we did that last month so hopefully that will continue uh, as long as i can drag mike kicking and screaming back into the recording booth uh then that'll happen and also you get bonus episodes so uh donate any amount at patreon.com slash a podcast directed by mm-hmm.